0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the nation. That's Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris coming to you from our famous Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, Oregon. This segment of Barbecue Nation is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. How would you like to write 29 cookbooks? That's I don't know. That's uh, I bet you most of you never thought of that. Well, today we're very fortunate. We've got Bridget Bins with us. Bridget has either authored or co-authored with other people. Uh, Twenty nine books. She was very kind and sent me a couple of them, um, although not hard copies, because there was a mix up in the mail. Um, but we we've got it. And I've read a couple of them and they were very good. And Bridget and her husband operate a place down in. Um, Well, I don't know if you'd call it Central California Uh, in L.A. They'd almost call it Northern California. But it's up there in the Paso Robles area called Refugio, Refugio, uh, Paso Robles. That Refugio Road runs about 700 miles through California. I pretty much like anyway, Bridget, welcome to the show.
1: (laughs) Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: No worries. Uh, As we say it off the air, you know, I'm familiar with that area spent some time down there and I do think refugio, I could never say it even 20 years ago, refugio road, I think runs from like Montecito all the way to San Francisco. I'm not sure, but um, there's a lot of things. Uh, you know
1: with, what? I say it, Jeff, it's funny. I say refugio, which may or may not be, I mean, everybody has a different way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And my Spanish speaking friends say refugio with a kind of a K in there.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take that into uh, consideration anyway. Um Bridget and her husband run a uh I don't know if you'd call it a, a it's not really a bed and breakfast it's more than that because you can go there and you can you can stay there and then you can take some cooking classes with Bridget And you can do lots of fun things. So anyway, uh w- welcome as I said and let's let's kind of get started with a little history on you. How did all this come about? And the other thing I want to know right off the bat is How did you get kicked out of boarding school?
1: (laughs) We're staying away from politics. Remember, Joe? Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) That's that's so funny. Um, Yeah, you saw that, huh? Oh, yeah. Um, When I was 12 years old, remember how we had the moratorium demonstrations against the Vietnam War um, in October of whatever year that was? I guess it maybe was 69 or something. Right. (laughs) I led one. Oh, at boarding school, even though I was only 12 um, (laughs) and I got expelled.
0: (laughs) Well, um, I have a similar similar experience. When I was in high school, I called a general food strike because we went from really good food into the cafeteria, uh, into a a government subsidized uh, sawdust burger um, food program. And I got in trouble for that, too. Not quite as heady as the Vietnam War, but it was I was still out there on the front lines, you know, so hey,
1: it's good to you know start out as you mean to go on.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how did you get into to cooking? I know you spent some time overseas. You you went to school here in Portland for a while at Lewis and Clark. Um, I yeah. And so you've had a very well-traveled life. But what was the impetus when you finally went, I'm going to do food?
1: You know, I had always been, uh, my mother was a good cook, and back in the 70s in Los Angeles, she used to make um, cheese souffle and flank steak and, you know, stuff that was a little bit uh, more ambitious than everybody else was doing at the time, and I came to see that she kind of forced me to, to be her sous chef all the time, and I realized that people really like it. They like it when you cook for them and they like it when food is good and homemade and that sort of made a big impression on me and then in uh, a different boarding school I went on a long (laughs) hike in the Grand Canyon and we had to do a solo. Remember those things where you had to like have a bag of granola for three days and sit there and contemplate the moon Um, and I just all I could do is think about her lamb stew
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> well, oh yeah. When you're hungry. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it was, it was important to me from, from day one, food was, was something that was, that I understood was a convivial, uh, you have to do it, but you might as well do it. Right. And through many vicissitudes, I ended up with the opportunity to go to the professional cooking school in London. And, um and that was it. You know, I kind of, I made a career out of it first in Spain, where I was a caterer. Um, And then later when I moved to Los Angeles, after 10 years in Europe, I started sending my resume around to top chefs in the area. And one of them hired me to write his cookbook. And things just kind of fell into place from there. And I'm incredibly grateful for how it has worked out.
0: Oh, I bet. I bet. And, you know, that's kind of interesting because a lot of good stories about people in in our industry Um, they didn't just get out of high school and they they went to college for a couple of years and they said this isn't for me and so then they went to CIA or whatever uh, culinary Mm -hmm. institute not not the guys in Washington but um, you know they did that and a lot of them did that but they they didn't really jump Forward in the industry, it seems to me that people who are going to do well, um, and this is just a personal observation, but people that are going to do well, a lot of them are very well traveled. Uh, they've had a lot of different in- influences. It's just not mom's beef stew, you know, lamb stew is different. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it seems to me that people that are going to be successful and have a story and can actually re- um, tell a story through their food have to have that those experiences.
1: I totally agree with you and I think my my time at Lewis and Clark they have a very ambitious overseas travel program at Lewis and Clark and I actually was one of the few people to manage to do two of them in my college career and I went first to Malaysia as a sophomore and then to Hong Kong as a senior both times for 6 months and I think that you you really you look as a young person, you're so unformed and you look around you and you begin to understand that other people eat and live differently. And I think what you just said sums that up is that you become fascinated with other food ways and it helps you see your own food ways in a much more interesting and a clearer light. And certainly that was, um, that was inspiration for me, although I don't really cook Asian food because there's too much chopping. So, um, but I, I learned a lot over there.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Safeway does sell these pre-chopped bags of, you know, celery and peppers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there for you. So oh,
1: thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll throw that uh, right back.
0: Okay. You you <laughs> do that. We're talking with, uh, Bridget Benz from, uh, uh, I was going to say it the way she does Refugio uh, Paso Robles down in California and Bridget's authored, um, probably more Cookbooks that are actually in the Library of Congress. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, when you when you when you started your career and you said a chef down in L.A. Um, you know hired you to help write his cookbook, mm-hmm. is that any different than what you do today? The process?
1: Oh gosh, yes. I I have to say with that book, he was a really highly respected chef, award Zagat award winner for years and years and he had, he was German, Uh, I used to write several books for German chefs, and he had no patience, so I, and I had no experience, so I really had to reinvent the wheel on that book, and what happened was that I would go to his house in the Hollywood Hills in the daytime, and cook based on, he would sort of tell me recipes or he would trouble them on a cocktail napkin or something and then I would go up and try to recreate the dish in a home kitchen because there's no point in recreating a dish in the restaurant kitchen that's right. not what the folks at home have right Anyway then he would come home at night after I was already gone and critique my presentations <laughs> that I left out on the counter for him. And there would be like little diagrams and circles and German words and stuff like that. So um, it was it was quite a challenge, but I did it. And then right around the same time, I got a solo book, my very first solo, just plain Bridget book called Polenta. And um, and that was for Chronicle Books. And I had the best time. It was such a privilege to be able to write head notes as me instead of as a German guy.
0: Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, it, it probably, and it wasn't written with an accent either. You will cook it this way, you know, type of thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know what? he used to say that the kitchen guys would always, when they were giving me the ingredients, they would give me little stories about the chef. And so his most famous comment in the kitchen is give me, give me the thing, give me the, the, the thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they had
1: to figure out what the thing was.
0: <laughs> no, I did Yeah. I had similar experiences in the horse business where, and then in cooking later, when I got into that, you had no idea what the thing was, but they needed it. Right. right. They needed it like Ricky tick now, you know, right now. Yeah. So <laughs> that was good. Um, what what enticed you to write the book, Kiss by Fire? <clears throat> Excuse me.
1: Well, I think we need to go back to when I erroneously agreed to leave California and move to upstate New York. And I realized that it was going to be very cold there. And as a Californian and a West Coaster, I wasn't prepared. So my husband and I built a house from scratch, on a piece of an old mushroom farm that had never had a house on it before, way upstate. And so we put in a fireplace that you could cook in. I realized I didn't want to just make pizza in it. I wanted to make chicken and lamb shanks and tomato tart and artichokes cooked in the embers. And that's what that book is all about.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we're going to talk about that coming up in the next segment. We're talking with Bridget Benz. And uh, we'll be back here on Barbecue Nation in just a couple minutes. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun Radio Networks. I'm JT, your host, and today we're talking with Bridget Benz. And for some reason, the weather's changed and I got a frog in my throat. So uh, forgive me for that. If you'd like to email us, you can do it very easily. It's info at thecowboycook.com, info at thecowboycook.com. And that comes directly to me. Also, we've got Facebook. That's Barbecue Nation JT and Twitter and uh, 17 different literally 17 different um, podcast and uh, social media platforms that we are out on every week so if you want to find us it's not that hard so let's get back and talk some more with Bridget here um, in the in the kiss by fire book and you said and you sent me another book to the new wine country cookbook but Um, And I made it through that one, too, if you can believe it. I actually did, because you do a lot of seafood and stuff in there and foods that I like. Uh, So I found them both very interesting. I haven't made it through the other 27, though, Um, you know, in the in the two days I had to do it. Um, But one of the things that you talked about right at the front of the book and you talked about the three different heat sources. And this is in Kiss by Fire. You talk about the air inside, the oven temp and the mass temp. Kind of go over our listeners because a lot of them, uh, a lot of them cook with gas, a lot of them cook with pellets, a lot of them cook with charcoal, but there's still a good herd of them out there that like to cook with fire and uh, real, you know, live fire, wood, that type of thing. Kind of go mm-hmm. over those because I thought those were really fascinating.
1: Well, you know, um, there's a I have a do you know what a Santa Maria grill is? I'm sure you do. because yeah. You, you spent time out here. Um, That's an interesting little item to talk about when we're thinking about types of fire and how they work. The the Santa Maria does not generally have a lid on it. So it is truly live fire. And it's what's called an oxidative fire Mm -hmm. because there's no lid. So when you use a a Weber or something else that has a lid on it with live fire from the actual wood, it becomes a reductive fire. And so it's much, much easier to manage a reductive fire because you can close the vents or whatever it is that you're going to do to exclude the oxygen. With the other side of it, the Santa Maria, the open flame like a campfire where you just have a grill set on top of your bricks or whatever you use to prop it up, again, that's an oxidative fire and much harder to manage. Um, And then with the oven, with the wood-burning oven, you have the mass, as you mentioned, the mass of the, the walls or the dome of the right. oven itself, right. and they, you get them hot with your fire, and then they radiate. So the heat radiates out from those walls, and then that's different from the convection heat, which happens because fire creates a little bit of a storm. Like we all know, recently, unfortunately, we've had too many of those firestorms, but it creates a a kind of a circular convection inside the oven that licks up at the top of it and comes around. And so that will heat things um, just by the air temperature being hotter. Is this is this answering your question?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And then Meathead always goes on, our mutual wonderful friend Meathead of AmazingRibs.com, he always talks about the, um, what's the one where you touch it? And I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on it, where the actual surface is hot.
0: Right. Um, Um,
1: That's the third kind of heat.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Now, I wish you hadn't said that because my mind just went completely blank. Um, I'm watching well, people walking their dogs out the window here or something. you know.
1: <laughs> both of our minds went totally blank. But so say um, his example is when you put a frying pan in a hot oven, right? A cast iron pan in a hot oven. Right. You, it's 400 degrees. You can put your hand into that oven in the air in that oven for a, a moment and it won't kill you. But if you put your hand on the cast iron pan, you'll be in the hospital. So it it surfaces, especially something like cast iron, absorbs heat and concentrates it much, much more so than the air.
0: Absolutely. And then you say also in the book, um, knowing your oven Uh, Before you try anything really ambitious. Now, Meathead and I talk about this all the time, because whether you're using a grill or even at at, this happens at home. um, Also, you will have. Hot spots in your oven and you will have, Mm -hmm. you know, a little cooler sides, even if you I mean, we bought a brand new oven last year because ours went uh, gunny sack on us. And I've noticed that it's a, it's really nice. It's top of the line type thing, but just like always every oven I've ever cooked in one side's a little more done than the other, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and, and getting to know that. So give us the Bridget theory on actually how you get to know your oven before you try anything ambitious. What would you do?
1: Well, I keep notes. It sounds silly. But that is really the only way that you can possibly uh, uh, make a, an informed uh, learning curve about your heat source or your cooking source, whether it's a wood-burning oven, whether it's a home oven. Just make the notes. Have a, Get a nice, cute little um, journal and then put in there what you did, how much did the protein or whatever it is weigh. Did you have to turn it around? How long did it take? This is something that I learned when working for William sonoma I wrote uh, 11 books for William sonoma And they are real sticklers when it comes to description. And so that's how I was trained. There must be not only a time, there must be a time range, and there also must be a visual cue. So, okay, so if I say in a recipe, 10 to 12 minutes or until golden, I'm giving you you a range of cues that you can use. Now, when you're keeping notes in your cute little journal, you have to say to your, your future self, this took 10 minutes to be golden, but I had to twirl it around because the right side was getting golden faster than the left side. that's how you learn about the little vagaries but you're not going to remember it i mean let's face it even if you haven't had a couple of beers you're still not going to remember (laughs) it so i mean we're just not like that i don't care how old we are you're not going to remember the next time you make a rib you're going to forget that it's 10 to 12 minutes and you had to flip around now you have the note
0: right we're talking with bridget Benz, um author of multiple Cookbooks, and her and her husband own Refugio Paso Robles, uh, which is a place you can go stay and actually get some cooking lessons from Bridget. And we're going to take a break here on Barbecue Nation Network, and we'll be back in a minute. Stay with us. <laughs> If you're enjoying G.T. and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G., where we talk home improvement and design, right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT here on the Sun Radio Network. So we'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends, always consistent with quality and taste. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com and also Gunter Wilhelm Knives. You know, I've got some now, and... um uh, I like them a lot. There's a lot of good knives out there. I I get that, and everybody's got their preferences, but I'm really building a relationship. Maybe that sounds a little weird, but uh, no horror story or scary movie here. It's just I am really enjoying using the Gunter Wilhelm knives. You can check them out online also. Uh, and if you want to check out our shows online, it's just barbecue nation JT. And also email me at info at thecowboycook.com. Some of you have emailed me if I can talk right, um, this last week about the subscription to uh, National Barbecue News. We're still going to do that for a couple of weeks. So if you want to email me that uh, and request one, I'll see what I can do for you. Now let's get back and talk with Bridget Benz. <clears throat> When you know When you first started working with an outdoor oven, Bridget, I mean, in a a real oven, not a Green Mountain grill or a Traeger or anything like that. What was the toughest thing that you had to learn, even if it means uh, what you said off the air? You know, it takes some time to get the oven up to temperature.
1: Well, I, I had to unlearn all of my assumptions about how fast it heats up and how slow it cools down. That's the really the biggest thing. And I think I knew that to cook pizza, it had to be very, very, very hot. That was okay. but I couldn't handle that. It took a long time to get hot, especially at the beginning. But what I didn't learn until a spectacular failure was that it takes a really, really long time to cool one of those ovens down because the mass, as we were talking about earlier, right does such great job of retaining heat and so I think the very first time we did a pizza party I had this shoulder of pork all you know dry brined and poked with with anchovies and dried apricots and fun stuff like that and a couple of hours after we were done with the pizzas I carried this lovely pork shoulder out in a big terracotta dish and put it in the oven and then went to sleep. <laughs> I was imagining this incredibly unctuous you know spoon tender piece of fabulous pork, and it was just nothing but ash in the morning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I've done that with a brisket, so uh
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, you know you go out there and you had uh, Delusions of grandeur, I guess one might say. And the next morning, reality hits you. And yeah, it it was, you could pull it apart with your fingers, but it was more like sifting uh, gravel. Yeah. Oh,
1: dear. Yeah, very unfortunate. I mean, we did eventually, if you want to do that, you can. You just have to set the alarm clock for like 3 a.m. or something because it takes that long to. One of the things I like to do and I talk about in Kids by Fire is I always want to maximize the oomph of the fuel. I don't want to be a wasteful cook. And so I do, I have finally come up with a way to the oven after the pizzas are done. And my favorite is to take every pizza topping except the cheese, all the ones that are left over because it's virtually impossible to plan the correct amount of toppings for your pizzas. Right. So you've got artichoke hearts and caramelized onions and fresh herbs and black olives and maybe some caramelized garlic. you got all this stuff left over, maybe some prosciutto throw that all in a big terracotta dish with some bone skin, skin on chicken thighs, toss it all up, put it back in the oven, which is still pretty darn hot. But now you're dealing with thighs instead of a huge piece of pork or a right. whole bird. It's done in seven minutes.
0: You know, anything you put prosciutto in, I'm down with it. Period. <laughs> Period. I love that stuff. I, 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 Me too. I, Me too. I mean, too. I, I, yeah. I uh, I'm a hog. I admit it. Um, I'll go to the the store and a couple of the stores around where I live. They actually have kind of little uh, pre-cut prosciutto squares that you can cook with. Yeah, they're great. If I'm going to use one like on a show or something, I'll buy two or three of them because I'll eat one on the way home. You know, I don't need a candy bar. You can give me one of those things of prosciutto and I'll munch on that all the way home. So.
1: Well, the the only thing that's surprising about
0: that is that it's only one. Well, I've tried to get more disciplined as as I've gotten older, you know, it (laughs) it doesn't always work. One thing you talk about uh, and you allude to in in your book, books. that barbecue people don't do a whole lot of they do some of it, but not a whole lot of it is you're willing to, especially like when you're doing your pizza and stuff and you touched on it a minute ago. You're willing to move the dish around whatever you're cooking, um, you know, go back to what we were talking about, home oven versus wood oven. I do it at home. If we get a, a pizza to cook ourselves or if I make one or something, I you know, I have the big pizza spatula. That's probably the not the proper term for it in italian or something but um i'll reach in the oven and, and you know turn it around a little bit so that you again you know you've got a hot spot and cold spot so that all that crust comes out just perfect uh like that but a lot of you know when you were talking about doing your uh pork shoulder or your pork butt um you know you put it in and you leave it pretty much but i was i was real curious is Uh, you recommend moving it around. I do too. Uh, Why do you think people are afraid to move the dishes once they get in the oven?
1: Gosh, um, I don't know. I'm a really bad person to answer that question because I can't even imagine. I mean, when I do, I do say when people put protein down the first time on a grill, they shouldn't move it right away because it has to seize up and begin that process of building a crust. But then after that, you really have to move it. And I think in a wood oven, it's it's very important because you have the fire on one side. But it's also the same thing with uh, a Weber on indirect heat. So for any kind of a kettle or that type of thing, you usually have a higher level of heat on one side than the other right you must shift things around even even on a kettle grill
0: right well you've got Uh, the indirect and direct heat there and you know whatever whatever you're cooking part of it is going to get closer to the direct heat than the other part
1: yeah so you've got to swap them around you know you just don't want to do it right away um i there was a time where i well, I'm always a little bit over but one time in Italy, we had a wood oven in the in a rental house, and we tried to—this to, is a real cautionary tale—we tried to produce the entire menu in the oven so that we wouldn't be wasting the wood. Yeah. And it was a nightmare because, you, yes, you have to move them around, but if there's too many things in there at once, you're going to run into them. They're going to collide, so you have to pull— the little Tuscan grill, that's the one with the feet on it. Right. You have to pull that out, the front, set it aside somewhere with your heavy-duty leather leather gloves so that you can rotate the chicken and then put the Tuscan grill back in with the zucchini on it. And then by that time, the coals are dying out, so you have to take everything out again so that you can poke the coals and add some more wood. You know, I think there's a fine line here between... Fully utilizing your oven and driving
0: yourself absolutely insane. So I noticed in some of your recipes, <clears throat> and this is in Kissed by Fire, which I loved, by the way. Um, well, let me phrase it to you this way. George Carlin once said, if you nail two things together that have never been nailed together before, somebody will buy it. And I've always and i and I don't take that don't take that as a slight whatsoever. it just means that you've been very creative in putting things together in your dishes that sometimes people wouldn't think of, okay Because um, to tell you the truth, I was looking at one of them <clears throat> I think maybe this was in your wine book uh you you had candied kumquats and i'd never i'd never thought about candied kumquats. I've never had one, so I can't say as i know much about kumquats to begin with but um, I just think that's very creative when you start especially with your pizzas and stuff you can put different toppings on no you don't always have to have pepperoni or sausage or black olives you know like the kind of standard Americanized pizza you've you've done some very creative things there do you just so here's the question do you bridge it as you're driving or working on something else uh, d- another dish? <clears throat> and then, all of a sudden you say, "You know, i I can put uh, feta cheese with ardvark or something. You know, you could do that. And th- that creative piece that comes into your mind.
1: you know I, I um, my favorite bad example of putting two things together is <laughs> rabbit and raspberry. They have no they have no affinity for one another. But if you take your, and so fusion is not the thing that I really believe in, but I, I hear what you're saying. I, yeah. I tend to do what I call wine country style pieces, and I take as, as inspiration is usually a cultural one. So I'll give one little quick example that uh, the Wine Enthusiast magazine wanted to come out and do a whole feature on uh, an entertaining feature on me and my oven and my wine country style pizzas. And they said, well, what would be, you know, give us an example of a fun pizza. And I said, well, how about squid and chorizo? And they're like, yuck, no way. No American is ever going to put squid on a pizza. I don't care what else is there. My inspiration was same, but then I decided to change. I said, well, what about calamari and chorizo? pizza with shaved de Manchego. Now we're, you know, we're insane. Right. Uh, it's, it, they ended up putting it on the cover of the magazine. They loved it so much. <laughs> we're going to take
0: a break here on Barbecue Nation. Be back with uh, Bridget Benson and wrap up the show right after this. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun Radio Network. With a frog in my throat today, we're talking with Bridget Benz. Her husband, Casey, own uh, Refugio Paso Robles, and you can look that up online and you can actually go meet Bridget and stay there and take some cooking classes and other stuff. Beautiful part of the country down there. Do you Do they call that Central California, Central Coast? What do they call that these days?
1: We call it the Central Coast, but you were right earlier on when you introduced me saying that Los Angelinos might consider it Northern California and San Franciscans might consider it Southern California. There's no actually established cutoff point as to where one starts and the other one ends, Um, and so it depends on where you're standing. There was one of those amusing maps (laughs) (laughs) showing what San Franciscans think of as Southern California.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, they they probably think Redding and Red Bluff is the great white north or something. I don't know. You know, they when you're up there that far, uh, because I know when I when I lived in Los Angeles, I did for a couple of years and went to school there. When you talked about northern California, they were like, you know, Fresno, maybe Stockton, San Francisco, the Bay Area. That was about as far north as they thought about. You know, they didn't.
1: Yeah. Nobody even knew that Redding was up there.
0: Yeah. It's an amazing place. Got olive stands all over the bar. So, um, you know, doing that. Over the years, what do you think you've learned the most from from authoring and co-authoring all these books, Bridget?
1: Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I, I, I've learned that there's not really anything new. There are just new ways to look at things. And that, Skill and intuition and meat thermometers are the way to success.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think the one thing that I've learned is, um, unless I've opened a can of chili or something, my meat thermometer is always right there with me, whether I'm cooking indoors or outdoors. It's never far out of my reach. I think that's the one thing that I've kind of drilled into myself over the years because I see uh when you go to a friend's house for dinner and they you know put out a lovely menu and lovely spread and all that and the ones that don't cook very often usually invite me to cook the meat or something you know that's i i kind of had to make some changes in our social calendar saying no i'm not gonna go if i have to cook you know um Mm -hmm. anyway yeah but uh a lot of people still, and I don't understand this relief really, because they're not very expensive. Don't cook with a meat thermometer. And um, I, I don't know. I don't get it. If you're going to be serious about cooking, you got to have one of those, among other things. But that that to me is probably the most important tool you can have is a good meat thermometer. Um,
1: you know, Meathead calls himself the hedonism evangelist. And I think I could call myself the thermometer evangelist.
0: There you go. Uh, and I.
1: I give them out to my friends so that hopefully they improve their, their skills. But, you know, I, I, as I, we talked about a little bit, that I've written a bunch of chef cookbooks. Right. And what I've learned so much from these guys. But I used to say, I'm standing there in the basement kitchen or something, holding a, holding a notebook and a tape recorder and trying not to step on a big pot of meatballs. And I'll say, well, how long?
0: <laughs> yeah. You
1: know, how long does it take? And because, and they'll say until it's done.
0: Yep. yep. And
1: people are always asking me how long, and I'm like, use your thermometer, use your senses, your eyes, your nose, your touch. You'll know when it's done, but as part of my job, I have to try to narrow that down and then give that visual cue.
0: Yeah. I work with a lady here in, in Portland and I've worked with her for years on TV and, um, she always will ask me because she doesn't cook very much. Although I've gotten her to cook a few things over the years, but she, she's, she's not a big Susie homemaker. You know, she's very busy in her career and hosting morning shows and doing all that stuff, but she'll say how long. And I always just give her the deadpan when it's done, you know, (laughs) and she, and she laughs every time. And I think the audience has probably seen that enough time. They're like, yeah, Helen, when it's done, you know, it's, uh, but um, anyway, it's, It is funny like that. And it's kind of interesting to, you know, watch the reaction on people's face. Do you get invited out a lot to, to cook? Friend's house? Uh, only,
1: there's a, there's a small bubble of people that have the, developed the confidence over years of me saying, I don't care. I just want you to feed me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and now they, they have become confident enough to invite me over. But for a long time, Nobody ever would. And there's still a bunch of people that go into, you know, cardiac arrest when they walk into their kitchen.
0: I get it. I get it. Yeah. Sometimes I've gone to ca- cardiac arrest after they fed me, though, you know. <laughs> so that's that's yeah. kind of a tough deal. Uh, Bridget, we're not we're not quite done with the show, but Bridget is going to stick around for a few minutes uh, for the after hours part of this. Uh, if you're, you know, listen to the podcast and streaming versions and stuff. So um, did your did your husband know how to cook before you guys got married?
1: Well, he had a couple of, of set pieces. Uh, I believe he, he does some uh, keka, you know, a pasta with the raw diced tomatoes yeah. and cheese. And I've now moved him over into dessert mode because I don't do desserts. And he hates to cook with me in the kitchen because I'm always, trying to make things better i'm just trying to be helpful (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) i learned a long time ago to stay away from other people that are cooking but that doesn't really apply to my husband
0: yeah are you hover are you a hover yeah
1: yeah Mm -hmm. i'm getting better at it though i will i will just walk away and then i come back and deal with the tornado of dishes that is left at the end
0: Yeah, I've gotten better at that over the years. I will confess, because when my wife and I first got married, there was no dish unturned in the kitchen. Um, But that was 30 years ago, you know, and I was known for, you know, putting on a great meal with nobody wanted to go into the kitchen because it was just trashed. Now I've I've perfected my skills a little bit over the years. So when I'm done, there's unless it's a big gathering, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that, It's not the mess it used to be. And I also taught myself how to clean up as I go along, um, which is a skill I'm very proud of now. I don't mind saying,
1: (laughs) you know, I have to say, Jeff, I've always been like that. I don't know where it came from. Maybe my mother, but I must clean as I go along. Otherwise I get discombobulated. Yes. And if I, um, that means that it takes me longer than it should because I have to clean up from one phase of the cooking before I start the next one. It, my husband does not have any such uh, compunctions, so when he cooks, it, it is kind of a disaster, but I, that's it's better. I stay away, and then I go in and clean up, but for me, cooking... I think I, I think I learned it in cooking, professional cooking school, the the need to have a blank canvas, a clean slate for the next phase.
0: Bridget is going to stick around for the after hours. We've got Max Good coming up in hour two of the show. And uh, for those of you who don't get hour two, we'll be back next week. And for those that do in your neck of the woods, we'll be back with uh, more Barbecue Nation in just a minute. Take care, everybody.